We're just going to uh, get started here with the Word, and I'll turn it over to my lovely wife, Ev. And over 40 years, and we could only pick two each. <laughs> now, you know over 40 years we've learned more than two things, right? Hopefully. <laughs> and these aren't even necessarily the top one and two, but they're within the top ten. Uh, but this first one... Well, let's just flick on to that lovely wedding picture. There you go. <laughs> and if you want to see some more of those, we've actually brought our wedding album, and it's at the front door if you want to have a good chuckle. Those two, two crazy kids embarking on uh, marriage and ministry, and yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I think we look better now, actually. Yeah, can I hear an amen? So the first um, lesson that I want to share with you that I think has, it's been a lifelong journey. Uh, and I would, I would say this, keep the garden of your heart free of weeds. Keep the garden of your heart free of weeds. And I want to read to you the scripture out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. And I'm going to read it to you out of three different versions, just so you can get a different flavor for this verse. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Here it is in the message. Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure that no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. And here it is in the Passion. In every relationship... Be swift to choose peace over competition and run swiftly towards holiness. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace and make sure that no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. Powerful, powerful truth in this passage of scripture and words to live by. Because how many of you know, whether it's um, marriage or church life or family life or friends or co-workers, we're constantly going to have to be keeping our heart clean and clear of offenses, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Why? Because it not only impacts you, but it impacts all the people around you. Um, Now, it's really interesting. I started um, looking up yesterday. I started doing some research about weeds. Now, anybody of you, any of you that know me know that I am not a gardener. I like shrubs and bark mulch. I like landscape fabric, and I don't like to do any pruning or trimming, but I do it because I like the look of a beautiful garden. I have a couple of pots that I try to keep alive till the end of the summer. And, and I must say, I'm doing better. I mean, when we lived in Maple Ridge, I had some silk geraniums 
that I bought from Michael's that I put on my front porch. And one of my gardening friends said she would disown me if I didn't get rid of them. As a matter of fact, they faded and I spray painted them. I know. I know. Linda Bork, you would probably disown me too, right? So, but I, so I started researching about weeds and I found some really interesting facts because bitterness and unforgiveness, the Bible says, it's like a weed in our lives. It's something that we need to be continually rooting out of our hearts. So here's some interesting facts about weeds. Each dandelion fuzz has as many as 100 seeds that travel in the wind. So just one little dandelion fuzz. If a dandelion plant makes 10 flower heads, that's 1,000 seeds waiting to sprout wherever they land. Weeds are bullies to other plants. They steal sunlight, water, and nutrients from desired crops, making it difficult to grow what you want. There's so many spiritual parallels here. Some weeds, I didn't know this. Maybe you did if you're a gardener. Some weeds even release toxic chemicals to murder the other plants around them because they're so competitive for life. Did you know that? Yeah. They, they actually release toxic gases because they want that territory and they will murder the plants around them. I thought, what a beautiful illustration of what this scripture is talking about. They have hardy, deep root systems that can access water that other plants can't. Think of that weed that keeps popping up in that sidewalk crack. I mean, we have a patio in the back, and we have this one stubborn weed that keeps growing up and growing up and growing up in this crack, and I keep pulling it out and pulling out, but I can never get to the roots, and it keeps coming back and coming back. So how do you fight weeds? really interesting. On this website, it actually laid out some points, and I thought, this is the perfect sermon illustration and the perfect points to preach on this. So I stole it from this gardening website. How do you fight weeds? Well, prevention is the key. Huh. Prevention is the key. Never let it go to seed. Proverbs 4.23 says, yours to guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, one of these websites said, if you rake your garden frequently, it'll pull out any little weeds that are starting to come up, and, and they won't take root, and your garden will stay healthy, and you'll, you'll get them before they have a chance to, to um, take root. So in our lives, I want to ask you, if you're raking your heart weekly, are you raking your heart weekly? Are you aware of what's in your heart? Is your conscience dulled? Do you ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit? Is your heart soft? Are you staying sensitive? to the Holy Spirit? Are you checking in with God on a regular basis and raking out anything that might be trying to grab a hold of your heart? Any offenses? Now, the second one, and the, this advice on this website said, pull them out early with the root intact. Now, in our backyard, we have a fence. We have kind of shrubs and bark mulch and 
And then on the other side of the fence, there's this. Now, I don't, does anybody know if this is a weed or a part of a tree? (laughs) Whatever it is, it's invasive because it's on the other side of the fence and its roots are on the other side of the fence and it keeps coming up and coming up and coming up on my property and invading my garden. And I go out there and I lop it off. Within two weeks, it's this high again. And another two weeks, another two weeks, and I keep pulling this sucker out. Now, Mike went out this morning, because we have probably pulled this out at least 10 times this summer. And it's been this size every time. And this morning, he went out, and he tried to get most of the root. I think he did a pretty good job. But I know in two weeks, that sucker's going to be back in my yard. Because if you don't... Get it out early with the root intact. Most of you know that root is just going to burrow down deep and it's going to be harder to get it out. So when you've been hurt, when you've been offended, when things have happened, if you don't deal with it and you just ignore it and say, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I forgave that person, I'm okay. But you don't pull out the root of that offense It's going to rear its ugly head. Every time you get hurt again, you're going to have a reaction that's out of proportion to what happened in that offense. Have you ever seen people that stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff, and then a small thing happens and they just blow up? You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's my daughter's line. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's because you've got all this stuff in there that you've just let it fester, and it's just built up and built up. And then one small thing happens, and you just blow. Because you haven't dealt with the roots. The next one is apply weed killer at just the right time. (laughs) What's the weed killer in this scripture? Well, I believe it's the grace of God. And freedom session. (laughs) Freedom session is a really good weed killer. But weed killer is using the right ingredients at the right time. The Bible says, see to it that you don't miss the grace of God. Why does it say that? Because in every given situation, no matter how painful the situation, there is a grace that God is making available for you to access for you to be able to process that situation and release it back to him. If you choose to ignore and stuff and deny and rationalize and minimize, you will never apply that grace to your life. I love this scripture in Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence and without fear so that we can find mercy for our failures, and find his amazing grace to help in time of need. In time of need, right when you need it. Now, I mean, in 40 years of ministry and 40 years of marriage, i got to tell you, there's been times when I've been hurt. Anybody? Some, some things were small, some things were devastating. And especially in church life, any of you who have been in church for a while, you know there's going to be stuff that happens. Crap happens. Can I just say it? Ooh, Ev, can't say that in church. Because we're imperfect people. 
you get a bunch of imperfect people in one place, sooner or later something's bound to happen where you're going to get offended, you're going to misunderstand something, someone's going to look at you the wrong way. And so how do you how do you manage that in a church family where the Bible says, you know, you're supposed to love each other and forgive each other? Well, you have to weed your garden regularly. And, and uh, I remember this one particular time, and some of you have probably heard this story, but I'm sharing life lessons, and i got to tell you, this was a life lesson that God wrote on my heart. We were in Maple Ridge at the time, and a particularly painful church situation had happened. And I was pretty devastated. And I was lying in my living room floor, and I was sobbing. I was really, I was in touch with the pain. And, but I was really angry. Anybody? I was really angry. And so I was lying on my, the kids were at school. And I was lying on my stomach, and I was crying. I, I didn't even bother with Kleenex. I just get towels. You know, forget the Kleenex. And so I was just really upset, really angry. And I remember just pounding my fist on the carpet. Oh, God! Those guys, those guys, those guys, they did this, they did that, they said this, they did that. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? Your heart, your heart, your heart. I was really mad. (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean my heart? They did this, and they said that, and they did this. And he said to me again, your heart, your heart, your heart. I'm like, I'm not talking to you about my heart right now. I'm talking to you about what these people did and said. And he said, what's in your heart? I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes you don't even know your own heart. I knew I was angry. I knew I was hurt. The Holy Holy Spirit said to me, you have murder in your heart. (laughs) Don't you love it when God just talks to you? Murder. I'm like, what do you mean murder? I'm having this dialogue. What do you mean there's murder in my heart? Well, I don't really want them dead, but I'd probably be pretty happy if something bad happened to them. (laughs) Served you right. (laughs) Listen. Weed your heart. I've learned over the years that if I keep my heart clean, and sometimes it's a process. You've got to work at forgiveness. It's not always easy. But as you release those things to God and you deal with your own heart, he has these amazing ways of dealing with other people that you could never, ever imagine. The last one is know your enemy. Know your enemy. One of the enemy's greatest tools to hinder your life and the life of other people, to destroy a family, a marriage, a friendship, or a church is for you to hang on to bitterness, resentness, resentfulness, and unforgiveness. So, these are the steps that they had on this gardening website. How do you deal with it? How do you know your enemy? Correctly identify the weed. Acknowledge what's in your heart. Get real with God. Get real with what's in there. Learn about its growth habit. Ask yourself, am I free? Am I clear? Am I clean? Is this still impacting me? Is it impacting the people around me? Am I sowing this to other people? You know, 
I, I need prayer. Do you know what this person did to me? <laughs> Not the best way to share prayer requests. Now, there's times when you really need a safe, trusted person that loves you enough to speak truth to you, where you need to process some really painful things. And believe me, I have done that. Liza's here. She has walked me through. <laughs> I'm start crying. She's walked me through so many personal crises. I would not be standing here today if it was not for that woman and her lovely man. They have walked us through church crises, and they have walked us through marriage crises. Listen, you got to know what's in your heart. you got to learn about its growth habit and if it's still impacting you and the other people around you. And then don't stay stuck. Develop, develop a plan and act on it. What are you going to do about it? Take action. If you need help, get it. I, I'm proud to say I've gone to counseling. Does that shock you? <laughs> so, so is Mike. Not so willingly in the beginning. <laughs> but I, I got to tell you, you know, that's, the Bible says we're supposed to pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, and so that we can be healed. There's sometimes you're just stuck whether it's in your marriage or in relationship, where you just hit a wall and you need to get help. And I, I'm grateful for the times that we have sought help where we've just hit a wall in our relationship, in our communication, and we've taken action to do something about it. Listen, there's two things that will keep you stuck. Pride and shame. Pride and shame, those are the two things that will keep you stuck. So weed your garden on a regular basis so you stay healthy in your relationships. All right, tag, you're it. That was so good. What part of that message did you feel impacted you the most? Just think about it. All of it. Thanks, Mary. And, uh, you know, with all due respect, all of it might be a little overwhelming, but is there one thing? I want to pray in a moment. And I'm going to ask you to take whatever that one thing is from your heart and take it to the Lord right now. We're, this, is, this is a bit of a workshop part right here. We didn't plan to do it this way. But I really believe I'm supposed to. So is there is perhaps now I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, you know, we had the prep time and I've kind of dealt with some things in my life already. But maybe this message brought a memory to your heart. Maybe there's a person in your life that you feel like, well, yeah, I've got to deal with that. Well, why don't we start right now? Let's just pray together, okay? Heavenly Father, your, your heart toward us is for healing. Not just knowing about stuff and knowing the right answers, but actually to have healing happen in our heart. And that, that person, that irregular person, that, that person that they, it just seems like they're really good at, at irritating me. Uh, Lord, whatever, that, whatever situation it is, Lord, we just, first of all, we just say, Lord, come and help us. We, we need your help. 
we can hang on to these things because we, we're so entitled in our own mind. But Lord, like you said to Ev, there, sometimes there's murder in our hearts. And uh, God, I pray that you'll bring cleansing and healing. And Lord, all the hurts that are, that are so legitimate, Lord, I pray that you'll bring a, begin a healing process like right now. Lord, we give it to you, and we receive this first start of the process. Amen. Isn't that exciting? So upbeat and fun. Yeah. Well, my, my point, and it's the second point of this message, is just because you don't understand doesn't mean you have to misunderstand. Just because you don't understand doesn't mean you have to misunderstand. And uh, I, I brought these beautiful glasses because, you know, we have a perspective from which we see the world. And now they're, they are yellow. It would be nice if they were blue, I suppose, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man, and so I, I should have blue glasses. And, you know, us guys, we're oblivious a lot. That's, you know, that goes without saying, right? But anyways, we need to become unoblivious or aware, self-aware. But anyways, we have the perspective from which we look at all the circumstances. And, and it might be our, our own hurt, our own bitterness. It might be uh, fear. It might be shame from, from our past. It could be all different kinds of things. It could just be, you know, the culture we grew up with. I, I grew up in a sort of a German culture in, in Canada. Uh, my, my mother was the first person in her first person of her siblings that was born in Canada. Her two brothers were born in the old country, and the Schroders were here in the, what, 1850-ish, somewhere in there we came across. And the big prize they got, the, the first Schroders, they, they came across by boat and then up the, up the St. Lawrence Seaway and across by cart from, from um, uh, Lake Superior over, over to Fargo, North Dakota, and, and then went up by boat upriver to southern Manitoba on the Red River, and their prize for getting through all that in the 1850s was a Manitoba winter. <sighs> anyway, so, you know, we all have our backgrounds. We all have money for. It, it could be all different. We have these perspectives. And, of course, then we, ex we have expectations of other people as well. And it's really easy, I know for me, it's really easy to, to misunderstand and, and, and not get it and then what happens sometimes when I say misunderstand, it's a bit of a play on words, I, I know, but, but what, what happens is, is offenses will come from a misunderstanding. And our understanding is so legit because that's the way we understand it. And so we must be right. After all, we know what we see. And I saw it myself. You all look a little jaundiced right now, to be honest. But sometimes being right is overrated because you, you don't really see things clearly. And what needs to happen is, is we have to be able to see things from the right perspective. And sometimes that just takes humility and it, it, 
it makes it, it, it it's a very, very important thing for us to learn how to understand. So uh, there's all the differences between uh, women and men, the differences between uh, people from certain cultural backgrounds, all, all the differences we have, they define how we see life. In spite of the fact that we feel we're right, what about the other person? And there, there was a cultural difference in the city of Rome back in the day when Paul was in writing to, to them. And it was a very important issue. And I'm very sympathetic to sort of to one side here. Because if you read the Old Testament, idolatry is kind of a big thing with God. You know? And there was this culture war in the new church in Rome. And I'm referring to uh, meat that was sacrificed previously to idols. And some of the Christians felt like, well, those idols are really nothing. They, they're, they're false gods. They're not true. Don't, doesn't affect me at all. So I can, I can eat meat offered to idols. It's no big deal. And, of course, some of the others, uh, they felt like, you know, that, that meat's been, like, demonized. <laughs> it's been, it's been it's doctrines of demons, and it, it's true spiritual forces. And I, I think if, if you look at it, there's actual truth on both sides of that issue. And it was a very, it wasn't just about being, you know, vegetarian versus eating meat. And even those issues are very important. But it was far deeper than that, very strong spiritual uh, issues here. And the Apostle Paul said some very important things here by the Holy Spirit in Romans 14. And frankly, I find this hard to get. I'll just be honest with you, because when you apply it to other things that it might be more current to us, sometimes uh, it's hard to figure out. Uh, Romans 14, one person believe it's, believes it's all right to eat anything. Uh, the other believer with a sense of conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. And I'm just looking at this now. These are big differences. Like these are like way over. Like like we got a lot of division in North America with the political stuff. You know, the right versus the left. It, it just seems almost insurmountable differences. And I didn't even mean to say politically. And uh, let's not even go there. But come on. God has accepted them. I don't get it. I don't understand how God could accept both sides of that argument. But he does. Somehow, he's bigger than, <laughs> thank God, he's bigger than me. He gets things that I don't get. And there are very strong differences in the church, in culture, uh, around North America. And, I, you know, I don't understand what's in this category or, and, and isn't. But it says in this huge difference that God has accepted. He is the judge, not me. And you should thank God that I'm not your judge too. Because, you know, I can be a little weird with my judgment sometimes. All right, I'm going to quickly move along. It says don't judge in the, the scriptures. And this is, I thought this was an interesting story. And if you get anything else out of what I'm saying, listen, he's, listen to this. 
because I think I got some, I got a bit of a download here yesterday when I was preparing my heart for today. And Jesus says, you know, you don't judge other people. And, you know, before you try to take the, the splinter out of their eye, try to get the log out of your own eye. And then you can, he says, and then you can go and you can help them. And, you know, what, what I find in my life is, is that when I see a splinter in someone else's eye, sometimes I misunderstand. And sometimes I get on a bit of a hobby horse. And my family will, will remember some of, my, some of my hobby horses, perhaps. But I, I, I see it this way. And what, I, what really needs to happen is that you need to deal with that splinter in your eye. Let me, let me help you because you really are pathetic, and I, I want to help you get that out of there because you're really bad. And pretty soon I, I go from being helpful to, to not being so helpful. <laughs> I'd be more condemning. But what happens is God helps me get the, 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 uh, the log out of my eye, and all of a sudden, it says, it says it's a very practical thing, but I think this touches your heart. And now, and now it's like, well, actually, it looks like God accepts you. I'm not going to judge you anymore. And your, your splinter doesn't look so big anymore. I can still help you, but I have a different perspective. And I can, I can actually love you as opposed to, you know, try to fix you. Because after all, you need fixing. All right. I think it's good. Thanks, Pastor John. I appreciate that. I think I'm going to stop right there because time's a wasting, and I'm going to let Ev come back. All right. I want to talk to you about this next point. Never underestimate the power of kindness and the power of your words. The definition of kindness is the quality of being friendly and generous and considerate and treating people with respect. Kindness can sometimes seem like a mundane virtue, but in reality, it is a powerful attribute of God. It is supernaturally spirit-produced, and it is a reflection of God's heart towards other people. You know, when we first got married 40 years ago, we had two major ground rules that we started our marriage off with. One was that we would never call each other names, except for honey. And the second one was that we would never threaten to leave if things got tough. Now, in 40 years, I got to say that we have been successful in doing that, except for one time, I confess, I called Mike a jerk once when we were camping. <laughs> but in 40 years, <laughs> my kids are waving their flags. In 40 years, that's the only time I've ever called them a name. I've thought lots of things, but that was the only time it came out of my mouth. And, and there's something very powerful about treating each other kindly. You know, every day, we say please and thank you to each other. We show appreciation. And we usually say, I love you at least once every day. Although this kind of sounds like common courtesy, 
There's many people that are kinder to people that they see in the grocery store than their own family members. Ouch. Actively demonstrating kindness day in and day out, day in and day out, will produce great fruit in your relationships. Yeah. Uh, Expressing kindness to other human beings is pretty important to God, too. In Hosea chapter 6, he says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I mean, you can go through all the motions of church. You can look like the most spiritual person in the world. And then you can go out those doors and be rude to the server in the restaurant. What is that? Right? I just want to get really practical. God says uh, in Matthew 9, 13, it says, Go learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Because God's really important about, he really cares about what's in our heart, and he cares about our character, and he cares about how we treat other people. Amen? It's pretty important to him. Kindness can be speaking truth. It's not just being nice. Uh, The scripture in Psalm 141, verse 5 in the Passion says, When one of your godly lovers corrects me, or one of your faithful ones rebukes me, I will accept it like an honor I cannot refuse. It will be as healing medicine that I swallow without an offended heart. My question is, do you have people in your life that love you enough, that are kind enough to tell you the truth? I mean, you know, I have some girlfriends that if I put something on, my daughter's really good at this. If I put something on, it does not look good. She'll go. Now, I never put something on and say to Mike, does this make me look fat? Because that puts him in a very difficult situation. But you've got to have somebody in your life who's going to love you enough to tell you the truth because of the kindness of their heart towards you. Now, I've got to say, there's been, uh, I know I'm kind of pointing out John and Liza a lot this morning, but they have been key people in my life that have loved me enough, that have cared enough, that have spoken kindly to me and spoken truth to adjust me to point out some blind spots that maybe I didn't see. So kindness isn't just being, oh, they're there and, and saying flattering things. Kindness, when it's spirit-produced, speaks life and brings change because you deeply love and care about the person. Psalm 141 in the NIV says, Let a righteous man strike me, for that is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, for that's oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Are you open to the kindness of God correcting you and the kindness of people in your lives bringing correction to you? We're told to love kindness and walk in it. Micah 6 8 says, People, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you to do right and to love mercy or kindness. Love it. And to walk humbly with your God. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to each other. Be tender-hearted to each other. Forgiving each other, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. 
You know, sometimes it's not easy to be kind. I got to admit, I'm not a kind driver. When I was praying about this, <laughs> I got very convicted. <laughs> I thought, I, and I was talking to Mike. I said, do you, do you think I'm a kind person? <laughs> yeah, I think pretty much every area of my life, I'm pretty kind, except when I get on the road. I, I'm just saying. I'm not a very kind I, I need to work on that. But that kind of leads me to my, my next point, that there's certain situations that might be hard for you to be kind, maybe in your family. You know, I, I, I got my kids here this morning. I'd like to think I was a kind mom 85% of the time. <laughs> I mean, we all have moments, right, where we fall and we fail. Are you going to hold? <laughs> Too bad those weren't like ratings. <laughs> to, to love my children, to love my husband, to love my grandchildren, to love my church family, and to be kind is a very powerful thing. Don't underestimate it. Kindness is spirit-produced. How many of you need help? I need help to be kind. Proverbs sixteen twenty four. When you're operating in the Holy Spirit, this is what can happen. Nothing is more appealing than speaking beautiful, life-giving words, for they release sweetness to our souls and inner healing to our spirits. Wow. Galatians 5.22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If you want to have healthy relationships, if you want to have a healthy marriage, if you want to have a healthy church family, practice kindness to one another. Don't underestimate the power of going across the room and praying for somebody, of offering someone a cup of coffee, of carrying something for someone, of just those small acts of kindness are very, very powerful, and they accumulate in relationships for the long term. Let God produce them in you through the power of the Holy Spirit because the gift of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit have to be woven together. I mean, you can come in here and prophesy and bring the most powerful word and then button line for the coffee and like, Argh! Right? Like, we need the fruit of the Spirit operating in our lives just as much as we need the gifts of the Spirit. And the, the Spirit produces both of those things. Tag, you're it. Amen. Thank you for being so kind to me, honey. I don't deserve it. Um, okay, I got three minutes till 12, and we still want to do communion in a respectful way without rushing it and um, you're all expecting some cake and so if, uh, please I, I'm not asking your permission because you don't have a choice but please be patient with us we're going to be out of here as soon as possible because I want cake too okay all right yeah I just want to uh, shut this down with one more quick point, and that is this. I mean, all of these things could be sermons in themselves, as Ev has so aptly demonstrated. <laughs> Love you, dear. Uh, and, and yet, 
uh, we, we could have had 40 points, right, if we wanted to. So to this, this next one, I'm going to try to do it real quick, and that is to, uh, to realign your why and remember the who. And a lot of us, we focus on what needs to happen and how we're going to do it. We talk about that. We think about this is what I need to do. This is what needs to happen. And we get involved with our, our church. We get involved with our work, with our relationships, even uh, jobs and, and duties around the house, in, you know, in our yard work and all kinds of things. It's all about the what has to happen and how we're going to do it. And uh, a lot of times we find ourselves in, in this crazy situation of being in the most blessed country, in the most blessed part of the most blessed country in the whole world, in all of history, and we still have burnout happening. Have you ever felt burnt out or moving toward that at least? I don't know if there's a a difference between a clinical burnout and just feeling like, I can't do anymore. Anyways, I, I have bumped into that at least. I don't know if I've actually experienced burnout or not, but I know I've bumped up against it. And God will help us to not, okay, help, God will help us to avoid burnout if we transition from the what and the, the how to the, the why and the who. Now, of course, we need the what and the how, but a lot of times uh, when we're up to our our armpits in alligators, it's hard to remember that we're supposed to drain the swamp. You know, it's, it's just really hard when we're focusing on getting the job done and working hard and doing this and just the, the to-do list is just way too long. But the why and the who are so very important. Now, this is a church and I'm a pastor and, and this is real spiritual, so you probably know where I'm going already. But it's really important because it actually works. It actually helps us. There's a scripture I want to share with you out of Corinthians. It says, Christ's love compels us. That is what, what, what controls us. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes, the message says, the voice translation. The controlling force in our lives is the love of the anointed one. The passion says it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. And so when, when we understand the why, why do we do the things we are doing? If we change from, well, I got to get this done because it's my job and I got to do it. If we go away from the what and the how and go to the why and change the why, you and I, we have the authority and the power to change the why, to think big, to think beyond the directives of the day and the moment, and to realize that God's love has touched our heart. And it's okay to do things for love. It's manly to do that, guys. It's womanly to do that, women. <laughs> I think you understand better than guys do sometimes. But, it's, but if, if I think about all the stuff I have to do as a, as a pastor, and you may feel like, oh, he's got it easy, and maybe I do compared to you. I, I don't, I'm not going to go there. But there's times I feel overwhelmed. And I feel like I don't know if I can do this. Like I just don't have the energy. I just don't have the time. I, it, it's just overwhelming. But if I, if I just come back and take a step back and realize I, I, love, I love God. <laughs> you know, I don't always feel like I do. <laughs> but I do. I, love, I know I love God. God loves me. God's love fills me up. 
And if, I'm, if I run out of my reservoir of love, what have I got to do? I got to go get some more. Because there's enough of God's love to go around. You think? I can get some more of that and give it away. You know, if I up and realize, Jesus loves me. You know that old song? <laughs> it's one of my favorites. We don't sing it because it used to be a children's song and they don't even sing it anymore. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, I, I love the Lord. That's why I do what I do. Sometimes I forget, but that's still the reason. That is, that is, that is, the, that is the why, and, that is, and it's the, who's the who? It's Jesus. It's the love of Christ that compels us. We don't, live, we don't any longer live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus. We receive God's love, and we give it away, and we do it in the name of the Lord. We remember the why, and we remember the who. Christ's love, compel, love compels me, not my duty, not my job description. I change, I change who I'm living for. I change the why from, okay, these are the expectations of people. Leaders around me, mentors, you know, bosses, kids, you know, demands. I, I change, I, I just, that's all there. And there's something about it that's, that's right. There's authority and there's responsibility. And we do have duties. You got duties and so do I. We don't like to do things out of duty, so we don't do them. Well, we actually have to do them because they're our duty. But why don't we just change the why then? Okay, I, I, I'm, living, I'm living for something bigger. Where's that scripture in, in Colossians? It says, you know, even, even a slave and a master, this, the slave might have this master, and, he, and Paul says to him, listen, don't do it for your master. Do it for Jesus. And that, honestly, I believe that that is an antidote to burnout. And if you're feeling burnt out, Look at what your motives are, your motivation, I should say, not your motives, your motivation. What's motivating you? And go back to the fact that, you know what, Jesus loves me. He died for me. He went to the, you know, the, the greatest love is that a, a man would lay down his life for his friend. Husbands, lay down your life for your wife. Lay down your life for your kids. You have to have margins, I get it. But sacrifice is okay. That's what love... But see, sacrifice isn't like being a martyr. Sacrifice is being a lover. Change the why and change the who, and that'll, that'll help you a lot. I, I honestly believe that. I, I think that's, uh, for, especially for ministers and pastors and people in church ministry and church life, it gets very demanding. You know, you get stuck doing this job for a thousand years. I get it. But really... The love of God is a good motivator. Amen. He died for you and he died for me. We're going to segue right now into our communion time and then we'll be dismissed, okay? And so can we just get ready for that right now? The worship team or at least Graham's coming up and servers are going to be ready to serve. And um, Because the Christian church, I mean, here we've been talking about some very practical things. Did you notice they're all from the Bible? Like, being spiritual isn't all about singing sweet songs about Jesus dying on the cross. In 
it certainly includes that, and we're going to do that in a few minutes. But the point is, is that it reaches and it touches every part of our life. Every part, every moment of our life. Every minute of our life. And that, that, uh, that time, I, I love the one line. It just means the world to me. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, On the night that Jesus was betrayed. Talk about relationships and angst and, and turmoil and emotions. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and the cup. Now, I just want to talk to you about one more thing, very practical. And Pastor Matt is going to be helping me here in a moment. But uh, we're going to, before that, we're going to, in a moment, we're going to pass out these emblems. And the, the emblems represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And you might be here today and you think, you know what, I, I've never taken communion. I, I'm, I'm new to this. I don't even know if, you know, if I'm allowed. Let me, let me just explain to you what can happen here. If you are not close to Jesus right now, you don't need to refuse to take this communion. Use this time as a surrender to Christ of all of the stuff, a turning away from your sin, a turning toward Jesus and his righteousness, and embracing Christ to the point that you're taking him into your very life. As many as receive him, they will be given the authority and the privilege to become the daughters and sons of God. That can happen. Now, if you're not interested in that, please don't take the emblems. But God can touch you right where you are. And if you're hungry, if you want him in your life, take communion. It's receiving Jesus and all he means and all he did for you. Okay? So we're going to pass the emblems out now. And please hang on to them until everybody has um, received it. And we'll take it together. Can we do that, please? Thank you very much. Okay.